is our Daunted Life, a man's podcast. I'm your host, Kyle Thompson. Let's get into it. All right, guys, today we got a special guest on the podcast. His name is Gerald Harris. And Gerald Harris, I guess the best way to introduce him is he's a thrice-retired MMA fighter because the dude has retired from MMA and he just keeps coming back. But this is a guy who has competed in mixed martial arts all the way from his 20s, and now he's on into his 40s, and he's still competing at a high level. But this guy as well, he is the all-time leader in wins for Cleveland State University Wrestling. And like a lot of wrestlers, he did make that transition into MMA. He was an MMA fighter, and he still is an MMA fighter, but he's fought in the UFC, in Bellator, the World Series of Fighting, Dream. He's fought in a lot of different organizations, and we certainly talk about that in the podcast. But the dude has 26 wins in MMA. And regardless of the organization that you're in, to get to that level, to to have those many wins is incredibly, incredibly impressive. But even beyond that, this is a guy that has had some of the most spectacular knockouts that you will ever see in the history of MMA. So I'm really, really excited to talk about that. And we certainly get into that here in this podcast. And here's the other thing. I'll just give you a little peek behind the curtain here. So this is a guy that he was introduced to me by a friend. And so we got him on the podcast. So this is a guy that's not, you know, doesn't have a whole lot of expectations. He's done a lot of these interviews before, but around the time that we scheduled this interview was right around the time the coronavirus stuff really started to ramp up. So everyone's scared about COVID-19. Everybody's freaking out. But here's the other thing is Zoom went from about two or three million users to a week later having like over a hundred million users. So we initially tried to do this interview over Zoom, didn't work out. We had to, you know, kind of throw a couple of Hail Marys. It took about 20 or 25 minutes for us to get onto something. So we got onto Skype, which is not the the greatest interview platform because the audio sometimes cuts in and out. But then right from the beginning, so that was awkward. That was weird. It's like, dang, dude, this guy's going to think we don't know what we're doing and blah, blah, blah. This isn't our fault, yada, yada, yada. And so we moved on from that. But then at the beginning of the podcast, it doesn't go as cleanly and as smoothly as as it normally would, right? Because we try to do things very well at this podcast for you. We try to show you the, the best parts of what we do for this podcast. And you know what? I just decided to leave it in there. I could have edited it out and made it all clean and made it all nice, but it didn't start as great as it could have and as clean as it could have. But, you know, that's just kind of the deal. Gerald's like, dude, you should probably leave that in there. And I agree with him. So that's exactly what we're going to do. So guys, without further ado, let's get into it. Gerald Harris, welcome to Undaunted Life, a man's podcast. You're welcoming me. I thought you was talking to people listening. No, no, no. no. Okay. I should probably leave this in, but this is me welcoming you to my podcast. So feel free to respond. What the heck? (laughs) Yeah, man. You guys be going like from regular conversation right into radio mode. Be throwing me off a little bit. Hey, that's what we got to do. I try to stay as real as possible, but sometimes it goes that way. So I will ask you again. Are you ready? Yeah, I'm ready. I am now. I was just like, is he talking to me? I am talking to you. So here we go. Gerald Harris, welcome to Undaunted Life, a man's podcast. Hey, what's up, man? We got to keep that first part. That was fun. Yeah, we might keep that first part for any of you guys. Just in case I do edit it, this out later, he didn't know I was talking to him a second ago in the interview, so it worked out well. But, man, we really appreciate you coming on the podcast. We're going to talk a lot about a lot of cool stuff today. But the the first thing I want to kind of get into is kind of how we got it, we got connected because I got connected to another guy that's been interviewed on Undaunted Life, a man's podcast before, Hardell Moore. Obviously, he has a lot to do in the wrestling community. But for you, I guess a, a good place to start would be what made you want to start wrestling? You know, how early did you start? What was it about wrestling that was attractive to you? It wasn't the sport that attracted me. It's the fact that I sucked at everything else. <laughs> I'm not kidding. <laughs> I cannot play basketball. And I can I, I was okay in football. I was a good running back. But I have really bad vision. People don't know. I'm like, I'm probably one lens away from being legally blind. Like, I'm really, really? I can't, I cannot see. I'm not kidding you. Um, you'll see me squinting and fight sometimes. So my vision is really bad. I'm super uncoordinated. And I'm not saying this to knock wrestling. And uh, I didn't plan on playing sports at all. I was an artist. I would draw. And I was a jokester. I cracked jokes and I'd draw. And uh, I went to a wrestling practice with a friend. And while I was there, somebody grabbed me and they were joking around and I slammed them. And this was at a little high school, you know, about a mile away from my house. And they're like, who are you? I was like, I'm just here with him. He was my my brother's football coach's son. And they're like, man, you should try this sport. And I was like, nah, you know, I don't know how my mama feel about it. And I don't even know what it was. And I came back to practice the next day and that was it. I was seven years old when I started. 
Well, that's that's the thing you get with a lot of wrestlers is it is kind of funny. Like it did sound like you were dogging on wrestlers there for a little bit, like is calling yourself not an athlete. But it is funny. There are certain people that, you know, they can't shoot baskets. They can't hit a fastball. But for whatever reason, wrestling just makes sense. But obviously over your your life and starting at the age of seven, you ended up doing well enough to where you were in. You ended up going to college for wrestling. So kind of take us through why you picked Cleveland State University. And by the way, since you probably weren't going to mention it yourself, you do still hold the record for the most wins in Cleveland State University <laughs> wrestling history since I knew you were going to talk about it yourself. But how did you pick Cleveland State University and what was that experience like? It was fun. Uh, there's times where I wish I went to Oklahoma State or OU. I just don't think I would have accomplished as much. You know, I think Cleveland State was a good fit for me. I wasn't highly recruited, but I was really good. I lost to Shane Roller in the state finals, which there's no shame in that. He was the number one wrestler in the nation. So out of all the kids in the, in the whole country, all weight classes, I got the number one guy in the country at my weight. And I lost to him in a decent match. I mean, he controlled the whole match. And I, uh, you know, kind of got overlooked. I wasn't recruited by anybody. So after that, um, I, I went out to high school nationals, which is a big tournament. Kids from all 50 states come out, and I placed which was surprising because I was never a state champion. I was a state runner-up. And I'm beating three-time state champions, two-time state champions. You know, I, I remember pinning a three-time state champion second round, and boom, all the letters start coming in. Right, yeah. So I kind of blow those off. I don't know much about college. And I go to another tournament called Junior Nationals in Fargo, which is huge. Right, right. And I go out there, and I'm literally tech-falling everybody. I probably went 9-0, straight tech falls. I get to the semifinals. Mind you, this is a state runner-up from Oklahoma. And I lose to the na eventual national champion, Robbie Waller, who's also number two in the country behind Shane Roller. <laughs> so I lost to him and Josh Lambert. And then right there at that tournament, I met Alan Freed and, and Jack Effner. And they're like, hey, we're at a college called Cleveland State. Uh, we like you. We saw you wrestle. We want you to wrestle for us. And I was like, yeah, all right. Um, I had already spoken to Oklahoma University and Lindenwood and kind of committed to both of them like a dummy. But eventually, uh, you know, Division One University gave me a full ride pretty much. Oh, you didn't have much money to offer. And Cleveland State showed the most interest and gave me the most money. And I, I wouldn't take it back for the world, man. Well, it's awesome when you find a place because sometimes whenever you're looking at a college, you're looking at, you know, maybe there's a little bit of prestige looking at that team. And if it's another sport, it's like, oh, they play that on television. But at the end of the day, it's where you're going to fit the best and where you're going to have the best opportunity to succeed. But you had a very successful, obviously, college career. But then you did what a lot of wrestlers do, a lot of really good collegiate wrestlers do. You transitioned into MMA. But some guys like, you know, our, our mutual friend Hardell Moore, he didn't make that transition to MMA. It wasn't as big when he was getting out. So for you, why did you? decide you wanted to transition into mixed martial arts i didn't honestly man it's kind of funny how a lot of things that happened to me happened by accident I, I hadn't had a street fight since the sixth grade and that's because a guy jumped on my back i did not want to fight i've never been a fighter ever honestly i've never punched anybody in the face <laughs> so i um i was teaching in florida making really good money moved back to oklahoma and they didn't accept my certification so instead of making you know, 40 grand a year, which I was making as a teacher, which was good in Florida. I come to Oklahoma and I'm making seven dollars an hour, man. And that's bad. Yeah. I mean, I'm I'm making three fifty every two weeks. It was it was bad. And my car broke down, didn't have a car. And my friend said, hey, he, he, he my friend, Jason Nicholson, if it wasn't for him, none of this would be possible. He's the one that got me into the sport. He goes, you need me. And the car was six hundred dollars. He knew it was his friend. Um, little raggedy car, a little raggedy Mustang. Never forget it. Um, he said, you need $600 for the car. I can get you a fight for $600. And I said, no. He said, well, you can do some roofing, but that's going to take you, you know, weeks to get that money. Right. So I'm like, $600? He's like, yeah. I was like, one fight. So I go in there. I fight the dude. The guy hands me the money. He goes, three and three. I said, what is that? He said, it was 300 to fight, 300 to win. I said, oh, man, that's some BS. He tricked me. <laughs> I, I didn't know if I lost. I got half my money. Right. And uh, so that was it. I was like, I'm done. I got my money. I got my car. Then they called me and said, we'll give you $1,000. I was like, okay, $1,000. Boom. I go fight. I win. I'm in a tournament, man. I'm in a tournament. 
And I'm I'm going from making six hundred bucks to two thousand dollars for the grand prize, which was a lot back then. Sure, yeah. The championship fight was one and one. I made two thousand dollars in one night. And my next fight was against Curtis Stout, UFC veteran. Mind you, I had only been fighting for a few months. Um I started training in September. I fought UFC um, veteran Curtis Stout. I think, uh, dude, when was that? Maybe, I don't even know when it was. I have to look it up. You know, he had fought Anderson Silva, Phil Baroni. He fought some badasses in the UFC. And I didn't even know, really know what the UFC was back then, you know. And I knocked him out another two grand. So I'm like, man, I got to do this. I quit teaching. I start training. And I get a phone call. I'm 6-0. and And it's from the IFL. You know, remember back then the IFL, the team fighting? Of course, yeah. And they go, hey, we got this Brazilian guy. His opponent backed out at the last minute. They said, 185. We'll give you $10,000 and $10,000 to fight. I said, you'll give me what? <laughs> <laughs> the Fabio Leopoldo fight paid $10,000 plus $10,000 to win. Unfortunately, I lost by decision, which I shouldn't have lost. I beat the hell out that dude. And that was it. I mean, 10 and 10, I was like, oh, this sport is amazing. You know, uh, it kind of sucks. That was 16 years ago, and the pay is about the same or about even worse. Same. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Um, but, yeah, that's how I got into it. Basically, just a way to feed my family. And, you know, I started training in 2006. And, and by 2002 years later, I was in the, in the Ultimate Fighter. Um, actually a year later I was on the show they started filming in, in February of 2018 and within and within three and a half years I was in the UFC you know well, that, three that's knockout pretty, wins. well that's one of the amazing things about about guys that come you, you get these guys that just come out of nowhere because most guys don't start their career at the UFC just about nobody does that but yeah you were part of the Ultimate Fighter 7 which was one of my favorite Ultimate Fighters ever because it was Forrest Griffin and Rampage Jackson yeah just, and we but, fought to get in the house Right, exactly. And you fought to get in the house. The other thing that I loved about it is I loved Forrest. And at the time, I hated Rampage because he knocked out my boy <laughs> Chuck Liddell. I'm like, screw oh, Rampage. No, I don't want to. But, but, then, but then Rampage was so entertaining to watch on the show. But I want yeah. you to kind of take us through the process of what it was like getting on the show. What was it like training under Rampage and his coaches? And then also, what was it like eventually having to watch those two dudes throw down Forrest Griffin and Rampage Jackson after the show was over? Well, it was cool because. Um, I started training in 2006. I wasn't really training. I was in my garage. I wasn't rolling, no jujitsu, nothing. I was in my garage punching a bag, and I was pushing sleds at this guy's gym. Old guy named Wes. He's a football coach. So my only MMA coach was my high school wrestling coach where I was helping out with the team and a football coach. <laughs> no boxing coach, no grappling <laughs> coach. <laughs> so a year later, literally a year later, I'm on the Ultimate Fighter. Um, Ed Herman gets me on with a phone call. I'm a janitor at my apartments because it helped me save money on my rent. I packed my whole family up. I'm like, I made it. I'm in the UFC. <laughs> I packed my whole family up, man. And I and I take them to my mama's house because I'm like, yo, I'm about to be on this TV show for eight weeks, six to eight weeks. Y'all stay here while I'm gone. You know, I couldn't afford to pay for them while I was gone. So I, I drop everything. I get to the show. I get on. And I pull up to the venue. I'm like, oh, my God, this is like unreal. You know, you know how Dana say, do you want to oh, be yeah. a fighter? And yep. we pull up. It's a van next to us, man. We like, what are those dudes doing here? We, <laughs> we didn't catch on to it. There's some right. guys. There are some guys that knew they didn't say anything. So I'm like, why is there another? You know, it's only 16 guys. We walk in another 16 guys. It's 32 dudes in here. I'm like, oh, man, this house about to be packed. So they're like, but. They like, nah, man, you um, y'all got to fight these dudes to get in the house. And everybody starts freaking out because think <laughs> about this. No, nah, man, look, I quit my job. I moved my family out. I canceled my lease. Uh, guys quit jobs at colleges that everybody thought they made it in the house. It was done. And back in them days, you got in the house. You got to fight in the UFC. Everybody remember, everybody was guaranteed a fight on the finale. Right. So it was it was okay to quit your job, you know. It's finally time to be a full time fighter. I win that fight. I go in. I lose to the eventual winner, Amir Sadala, and they don't give us a finale fight, and that sucked. Mind you, I didn't make any money on the show. We only got five hundred dollars a week. That's three thousand dollars. Right. We got five hundred dollars a week, and I come home with three grand. That's it. I didn't get any money for my fight. 
Um, and it was just, man, it was a depressing time, man. You know, so from 2008, after I filmed that show, I promised Joe Silva I'd make it back in the UFC. And he told me no. He literally told me anybody that loses on the show um, is not going to make it in the UFC. Wow. Which he was extremely wrong about. Look at Matt Brown and look at other guys that, you know, didn't sure. win the show and still. Anyway, and, uh, you know, long story short, I had a prank call on Dana White uh, about two years later in 2009, actually, at the end of 2009. And that's kind of opened the doors and put my name in his ear. And boom, he got me a fight like 10 days well, later. Now, wait a minute, Gerald. You can't just glaze over that story. That's a great story. So, because you, you literally, you just about literally tricked yourself into the UFC. So, you got to tell my listeners how you made it by getting into the UFC with a prank call. My my last official loss wasn't a rest of dollar because that was an exhibition. My last loss was, um, I lost two fights in a row. I was 6-0. and I lost to Leopoldo and, uh, God, uh, I should have yeah, that was just a horrible fight for me. I, I wasn't ready for Benji Raddick. Benji Raddick was a UFC veteran, badass, knockout artist. He TKO'd me. He didn't knock me out. He knocked me down, and I, I didn't even know how to get up. So, um, you know, I hadn't really sparred or anything. So, anyway, I was 6-2, and two, and then I go on, like, a nine-fight knockout streak, you know? I think I had one decision and, and eight knockouts. And so I called Joe Silva. I'm like, yo, Joe, I'll take a fight on five-second notice. And Joe's like, nah, man, keep winning fights. I was like, Joe, I got eight knockouts, dude. Like, come on, man. I was 6-2 and two on the show. I'm 15-2 and you know two now. Like, my record was good. And he's like, nah, man, you need some more wins. So I called uh, – uh, Dana White was on MMA Junkie, which is super rare. It's around December. And I called probably 400 times. I'm not kidding. I just kept calling and calling. And I finally got through. And I was like, I can't just ask this dude to get in the UFC. And I, a lot of people don't know I do prank calls. You can kind of look them up on YouTube for fun, the clean ones. And okay. I, just got, I just got this weird idea to talk like a British fan. And uh, I started talking about myself. He was like, oh, I like Harris. Harris is tough. I was like, well, why don't you put him in the UFC? Well, in my British voice. <laughs> and he's like, you know what? I like that. I said, well, we're talking to him right now. I switched my voice on him. He's, and, and the whole studio went nuts. They was like, oh, like, you know, it was pretty funny. And boom, he called me five days later. He said, you want to take this fight? And I said, hell yeah. And I fought um, John Salter on 11-day notice. Yeah, and you won. You won by TKO, and that's that's kind of one of those deals where Dana says it all the time. It's like if we open the door for it for you, you better walk in. And that's the thing with the UFC is like you may not get a whole lot of chances, but you obviously went into the UFC. You had a good career in the UFC, but I want to talk about a couple of things that you did in the UFC because way back at UFC 116, back in 2010, um, there you pulled off one of the biggest slam knockouts in, in MMA history. And then you actually did it again back in 2017 against Matt McKeon. <laughs> yeah. But uh, I mean, David Branch is a real dude. I mean, there, there are some, if you're in the UFC, you're a real fighter, but David Branch is a really bad dude. But the thing is, is and if most of the guys listening to this that are MMA fans, you've seen the slam KO before because he kind of ended up in your standing guard and you kind of post with your left elbow on his throat and then you just drop him. But I just want to kind of get an idea is like, was that part of the was that part of the plan? Did you train that? Did you just feel it? Because you did it again seven years later against a different dude. It's almost <laughs> the exact same knockout. I mean, what did you see there? How did that happen? I wasn't playing. Uh, I do drill slams, um, not that one specifically. Uh, from the beginning of my career, I was always picking people up and throwing them down as hard as I could. That was my strength. I was a wrestler. I did the same thing in, in wrestling. I would pick people up, put them on their back. So I kind of took that into into MMA uh never drilled that position I hadn't rolled much at all and I uh I um I don't know it just happened I knew if I put that forearm on that neck that 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 put him down you know what I'm saying I didn't know exactly what was going to happen uh that was the first time I actually got one that clean I mean he was asleep I hated that fight because he was so good he was a black belt in jiu-jitsu on the hands right. of Gracie Mind you, Henzo Gracie cornered my first loss against Fabio Leopoldo. So I'm like, oh, my God, not this guy again. <laughs> um, but by that time, I had some good boxing. I had a new boxing coach. I had a real trainer. I had a wrestling coach, jiu-jitsu coach. I was a real fighter when I got in the UFC. But mind you, I had only been training for two years, two, three years. You know what I'm saying? 
Right. And, uh, I mean, it, it, I didn't look for the knockout. I just knew he would have trouble taking me down, and I had hands. I was like, if he gets me down, I'm being trouble. You know what I mean? So I was like, this guy's used to everybody he fought. He just bullied them. Um, that his weakness was wrestling. He was athletic, but so was I. So I think I surprised him with my takedown defense and my heavy hand. I caught him with some good shots. Well, that, that's the thing with, you know, you see this with the really good jujitsu practitioners. Is there a lot of times it's like, well, if they get the fight on the ground, you're in a lot of trouble. But if you can't get the fight to the ground, then yeah. it's we're in Tyron Woodley, Damien Maya territory at that point where you yeah. shoot 40 takedowns and you, you get none of them. And it ends up being one of the worst fights in UFC history. But the, the interesting thing about that that knockout of David Branch, but also several of your other knockouts is you will knock a guy out, but then you actually will not follow up with punches. And you you might see, you know, Machida's done that a couple of times. You see some guys do it randomly, but it's happened to you a lot where you see the guys knocked out and you just do, you don't follow up with punches. How, how do you have that much restraint in a moment like that, where even the referee tells you in the back, hey, you don't stop until I pull you off. The coaches are like, hey, man, don't stop until the ref pulls you off. I mean, how do you have that restraint in those moments? I don't know. It might be a wrestling habit because when I, when you pin people in wrestling, it's over. So you put somebody on a move and the referee goes, bam, it's over. And it just right. seems like when you knock people out, you can tell sometimes, you know. I'm always in a pretty dominant position, you know. So if I hit you and you go out, you know, like when I, when I hit, uh, I hit um, God, what's his name? I hit Curtis Stout with a hammer fist. Oh my God. He, he just stared into the sky. I hit him with a hammer fist. Bam. He was out. I never knocked anybody out before, I, but I knew he was out and I just jumped up and walked off. I didn't have to hit him anymore. You know, it was pretty crazy. It, it was just something that was embedded in me from wrestling. Once you pin somebody, it's over. Now I'll tell you this. The one time I hit somebody after I knock them out, they woke up and kicked my ass. Uh, <laughs> the guy from Bellator, damn Russian. I knocked him out cold. And a lot of people don't know that if you if you knock someone out, you can wake them up. Like if someone is asleep, dead asleep, right. and you slap the hell out of them, you can't knock somebody out that sleep. You literally wake them up, you know. Um, and I knocked this guy out from Bellator. He was 28 and two. He was a badass Russian. And I freaking followed up with punches and woke him up. And he freaking kicked my butt. But, uh, <laughs> yeah, that's what I get for getting greedy, man. That is what you get. Well, that is interesting. I'm always uh, kind of wondering what's going on through a fighter's brain whenever they have that moment. So you've had you've had a lot of fights. Uh, you've had a lot of wins. To date, whether it was a win or a loss, I don't really care. Who was the toughest guy that you faced? And you can take the word toughest to me, whatever you want. Who was your toughest opponent of your career? My The hardest hitter was um was josh berkman he hit me the hardest god he hit me so hard uh i don't know man I'll, I'll tell you i'll tell you the best fighter i ever faced was jorge santiago that's the best i ever felt in the fight i was so prepared for that fight and, and you won it was a, yeah and i mean i fought the hell out. i fought him with a broke hand i broke my hand the first round really so i had to rely heavy on the wrestling i had no intentions on wrestling but People don't understand. You locked in the cage for 15 minutes with one hand against Jorge Santiago. Yeah, I got to wrestle. What am I going to try to kickbox with him? No, he's going to kill me. So, yeah, he was the toughest fight I ever had. Just mentally, I was terrified of him. I was literally scared of that dude. And we even trained together. He beat the crap out of me in training. <laughs> and I was like, man, this is not going to go well. So I just amped my cardio up. I worked on my footwork, and I beat him. And I think he was surprised. Yeah, that's one of those things is you can't take anyone lightly, especially in any organization, because you fought for the UFC, for Bellator, World Series of Fighting, Dream, you fought for them all. But the thing is, is you don't get to those places and, and be terrible. You might be you might be green. You might have some things you need to work on. But I mean, all these dudes are bad dudes. But another guy that you fought that ended up becoming a champion is Rafael Lovato Jr., you know, another uh, Oklahoman. And you stepped in as a last minute replacement to fight Rafael Lovato Jr. Uh, were you surprised that he went on to be the 185 pound champion because he beat, you know, one of the best 185ers in the world in order to win the Bellator uh, 185 pound championship. No, I mean, did that, that surprise was, you? No, that was a great matchup for him. I was just trying to knock him out. I, I man, people are saying I was on the couch. Like I was chilling. I had no intentions on ever fighting again. They gave me a great offer financially. And I knew that it'd be an interesting fight. People would get excited for it, and they did. And then Fedor was on the card. How do you pass that up? 
Sure. Yeah. So I jump in there, and no offense to Rafael Lovato, but he's probably most likely not gonna knock you out. So I I don't think I would have took that same fight against Douglas Lima. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> so right. Right. There's a different type of danger with Lovato. I'm like, okay, I actually have a chance to go in here and try to knock this dude out before he takes me down and taps me out when I'm tired. Now, with a Lima, uh, that'd be dangerous. I mean, that's brain damage. You saw what he did to Michael Venom Page. <laughs> oh, man, that's one of my favorite knockouts ever because I cannot yeah. stand Michael I mean, Venom Page. No, no offense to Lovato, but he's just not a knockout artist, you know? That's like that's like saying, you know, do you want to fight Anthony Johnson or do you want to fight, uh, God, what's his name? from? Anybody uh, else? Anybody no, yeah, else really. other than Rumble? No, what's yeah. the guy named from the Jake Shields? Come on, Oh, man. sure, yeah, There's yeah. There's a big difference. Same weight class. They both were 170. I'd rather fight Jake Shields. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Yeah, you and everybody thought, else. Yeah, but you see what I'm saying. So they like Lovato. I'm like, yeah, I, I actually have a, a great matchup for a heavy-handed wrestler. You know what I'm saying? Right. I could actually connect with this dude. And he just hit me with some, some wizard stuff and tapped me out. It was weird. Never been yeah. tapped out before. Yeah, I, I got to say, I was really surprised uh, that he beat Musasi. And, and I, I obviously think that he won uh, the fight. I, I had it 2-2 going into the fifth. And for whatever reason, yeah, Musasi, yeah, Musasi backed up to the cage right from the jump of the fifth round. Yeah. And, you know, uh, he just cut himself off in the middle of the cage, which is really, really weird. But another thing that's interesting about your MMA career is uh, you're kind of typical in that you have retired from MMA several times only to yeah. come back. You keep coming back, so man, so what, I, I what don't keeps come you back, coming man. back? They they keep bringing me back. Ah, right? uh, well, but you keep saying <laughs> yes. So how, how is it that they keep enticing you to get in there? Money. <laughs> yeah. I, yeah. Uh, yeah, man. The first time I retired is because I was going through a divorce. I had no intentions on retiring, but legally I retired because it was an issue. If I was fighting while divorcing, it could have came up in court. So I stopped fighting for three years. It took me three years to get divorced. So when I came out of retirement the first time, it was on purpose. It right. was because I could not go through. I was going through a custody battle. Man, I lost my kids. I got them back. I mean, I was going through a lot. Of it. When, I, when I fought um, Santiago, I was in a divorce, literally in the court, all kind of stuff. So I was going through a lot of stuff personally. I didn't have time. I didn't just have the energy to train. So I took three years off, man. I didn't I didn't do anything for three years. And then this, oh, you know, it's funny. When I came out of retirement, the guy called me out on Twitter. Oh, really? Yeah, he called me out on Twitter. He called me out. He said, uh, uh, Aaron Cobb. And he goes, it's funny. I wish I, I screenshotted. I did. He says, hey, I heard you're looking for a fight. You're coming out of retirement. Because I recently did an interview with Junkie. And I was like, not really. And he was like, I'll fight you. And I was like, you got to be kidding me. <laughs> And he's hey, like, you got to shoot your shot, I guess. Yeah, pretty. he shot it. And then he said, uh, I said, be careful what you wish for. And then, boom, that's what it, it literally it happened. He got the fight. And I bet he regrets it because uh, you knocked him out with another slam because, <laughs> of course, of course, that's what you do. So um, yeah. you've obviously uh, had a lot of fights over your career and you started at a young age. But, you know, how has preparing for fights changed for you as you've aged because you had fights in your 20s and in your 30s and, and you're looking to get fights now in your 40s you know how, how is preparing for a fight just the just the training camp aspect changed for you anybody will tell you my age that you start to train smarter i'll tell you this other than the jorge santiago fight the best i've ever felt in competition was when i fought um the last guy i won because i was on a three fight losing streak I beat Bazinski, who's amazing. A lot of people overlook Seth Bazinski, who beat Neil Magny. Um, but uh, Seth Bazinski was extremely tough. He was a veteran. I was told to go beat a UFC veteran if I wanted to get back into Bellator to UFC, and I did that. And it wasn't easy. You know, if anybody knows Seth Bazinski, he's a gamer. He can beat anybody. He can also lose to multiple people. So he, um, he calls me out, and... I mean, not, he doesn't call me out. I look for a fight, and they're like, I know Seth Bazinski will fight you because he'll fight anybody. And boom, it happened. But I trained my butt off for that guy. And it's because I'm older, I'm smarter. I'm not as athletic as I was when I was 26. I mean, but I don't have the mind. I wish I had the mindset I had now back then. I would have did a lot of things differently. But that's life, you know what I mean? So I, I just, you just fight, you learn how to train smarter. You know, you don't kill yourself in training. And that's what 
what it used to be back in the day. You just worked out three times a day and you ran 50 miles a week and it was just, you do as much as you could. And I've learned how to train smarter. Well, that's awesome. And, and the thing about that, we talk about a lot on Undaunted, we talk about spiritual, mental, and physical resilience. And with physical resilience, as you age, the ability to bounce back does get a little bit tougher. But I do want to transition a little bit here into a, a personal story uh, that I'm, I'm just interested to hear kind of how this all went down. But obviously, um, if anybody knows anything about your story, they know that your brother actually died in a car accident. Um, and after he died in a car accident, a, a week later, you fought. You went in and you knocked a guy out in the first round. And just, I mean, there's so many people that are just thinking about their brother right now. And the thought of, you know, getting getting back to work, if, if they work at an accounting firm, would be tough, much less stepping into a steel cage uh, to fight another human being. But when when we as human beings feel, you know, extreme loss or even extreme highs – it can kind of lead us to be very introspective, especially on spiritual issues. When we lose somebody, I, I'm curious for you, when you were going through that time and, and leading up to the fight and losing your brother, did you have any kind of those deep level introspective conversations in a spiritual manner about kind of what was going on in that situation? No, it was kind of a blur. He died on Saturday, March 21st. And I'm also an event coordinator. I put on comedy shows. So that week, my parents, they went out to Atlanta on, like, Tuesday. I didn't go to his uh, viewing. So we planned a home-going service back here in Tulsa, Oklahoma. Well, I did. I did all the work. I found a church. I got the food together. I got the everything set up. So I worked on the funeral while getting ready for the fight. And I did that because I knew my mom didn't want to do it. You know what I mean? So I, uh, I don't know. It's kind of a blur. I, I, didn't, I didn't cry till after the fight. So I kind of broke down after the fight. But it's kind of crazy that my last fight was March 21st. You know, um, last Saturday I was supposed to be fighting again. And I, I forgot that was the anniversary of his death. So I almost fought on his, uh, I almost fought on that day, which was crazy. But no, there's, there's nothing. I didn't talk to myself all week. I literally blocked it out. And as soon as I won the fight, which it was a one-punch knockout, and I was fighting the guy with the fastest knockout record in Oklahoma. So I was a little nervous. But I hit him with a jab. He was sleeping. Then I just broke down in the cage. That was it. Kind of let everything out. And then the funeral was the next day, man. Yeah, that's, I mean, that's heavy. And now that you've had some time, even years have gone by, over a decade's gone by since you lost him. Uh, have you changed your kind of perspective? Because at the time, you know, you just got to get your lunch pail and go to work. But would you change anything from that time period? Would you have, would you have maybe not fought? Like, have you, have you changed your opinion on that time period at all over the last decade yeah. plus? No, man. Uh, I called Rampage and said, what do I do? And he said, look, man, and no, a lot of people know this. He said, how much you going to get paid? I don't know how much it was back then. And he said, I will give you the money and you don't have to fight. And I said, you know what? I'm going to fight for my brother. And that's what I told him. Wow. I've never heard that story about Rampage. That's that's crazy. Yeah. So um, and one, I wouldn't tell that story. You know, it was kind of personal with him. But, yeah, I was like, you know, I was like, you don't have to do that. And. Yeah, he uh, he said, you, you sure you want to fight? I said, yeah, I'm going to fight for my brother. I said, if I don't fight, I'm just going to sit around and think about it the whole time. He was like, okay. And then I knocked the guy out. And even a cooler story on top of that, the same year my brother died, um, I called Joe Silva. This is before the prank call and all that. And I said, Joe, you know, I won another fight. And he's like, keep winning. I'm like, all right. I said, what do I got to do to get in the UFC? And he goes, you need to beat someone with the name. So I told Joe, the next person that gets cut from the UFC, I'm knocking them out. That's what I told him. <laughs> and it was it was Neeson Osternek. So Neeson Osternek loses to Jake Rochelle, I believe, or somebody. I don't know who he lost to. He gets cut. He's out of the UFC. And I call shark fights in Texas. And we get a five-round fight, title fight, 185. And I knock him out with one punch, man. Yeah, you didn't need the five rounds, so that that worked out better for you. But hey, man, if you're gonna call your shot, you better you better come out on the other end of it. So that's awesome. I appreciate you sharing some of those personal stories. Well, but on. oh, go ahead, go ahead. That was on my brother's birthday that day. Are you that serious? Yeah, that was September 12th. <laughs> Dang, so dude! I, I knocked out Neeson Osternick on my brother's birthday. I still have the belt. It's a really cool belt. It says Shark Fights. They actually try to buy it back from me. 
But yeah, I knocked him out on my brother's birthday of all days. So I fought seven days after he died, and then I fought on his birthday. That is amazing. Dude, you can't plan that out. Yeah, I mean, you obviously <laughs> you couldn't plan that out. So obviously there was something else going on uh, behind the scenes there. So again, appreciate you sharing that. So as we kind of wrap up here, I've got a bunch of just MMA related questions for you. And so you don't have to feel the need to go into two terribly long answers, but I'm always curious what guys think about. So the first thing is I'm assuming you would say wrestling is the most important form of martial art in order to be successful in MMA. So I'm going to give that one to you. But aside from wrestling, what is the most important important discipline to master if you're going to be successful in MMA, according to Gerald Harris? The, okay, it's going to sound kind of weird, but I think that wrestling is mostly mentioned for the physical part, but I think that mentally wrestlers are just a different breed of people. It's true. So you you got to be crazy almost. I mean, we've been through a lot. Nothing against football players or basketball players, but not a lot of athletes have been by themselves in the positions that we've been in. So I think that the wrestling mentality is, is very important. Now, when it comes to a physical skill, I still always go with wrestling because you can be the greatest striker in the world, but if you can't stop my takedowns, I take away your strength. Right. And that does vice versa for a guy that can stop my takedowns, but that also means he has good wrestling. So wrestling nullifies jiu-jitsu. It nullifies a lot of things. And jiu-jitsu is good, but I know jiu-jitsu guys that get their butt kicked if they can't take you down or they can't get to the ground you know right so aside aside from wrestling would you say that you know kickboxing is the next what's the next most important if, if you got wrestling off the table what's the next most important yeah i would definitely i would go with jujitsu i know it sounded sound, sound the same i love striking i love it but if you watch a lot of fights very few fights are striking oriented um if you get into a street fight you go to the ground you're going to end up grappling Right. That's yep. not just, I'm talking about submissions and stuff. Uh, I would go wrestling, jujitsu, then striking. Just striking, period. Knees, kickboxing, all that. Okay, good deal. All right, next question for you. Who is the best wrestler in MMA right now? Uh, Henry Cejudo. Henry Cejudo. Well, it's kind of hard to pick against him. Now, now, since you said Cejudo, <laughs> what do you think about him fighting Jose Aldo? Jose's 0-1 in that weight class, and all of a sudden he's getting a title fight. What do you think of that fight? He's a legend, man. You you can't really knock the guy. Um, there's no there's no real. This is what I don't like about MMA. There is no real um, way to get a title fight. You know, look at Brock Lesnar comes in, wins a fight, gets title shot. Right. You know, it's based on popularity. There's a lot of there's a lot of factors that play into getting a title fight that we don't know. So I wish that there was a clear path to it. You understand what I'm saying? Right. It was like, it would be easier if it was like a bracket, like a bracket, like a you know state wrestling tournament or something like that. But yep, there's a whole lot of other things that are factored in. So next question yeah. for you: Who is your favorite fighter of all time? Oh gosh, MMA. MMA, gotta go MMA. <laughs> uh, uh, okay. If I had to go with one fighter, I'd go with Anderson Silva. He's all just he just changed the game, man. Okay, yeah, it's kind of hard to go against him. Uh, I feel like he changes the game the moment the front of his foot connected with Vitor Belfort's chin. That was uh, one of the most ridiculous things that I've ever seen. We've seen more front kick knockouts since then, but that was that was incredible. <laughs> so that's your favorite fighter of all time. But who is your least favorite fighter of all time? Oh God, um, damn! I wanted to say uh, who's the guy that just fought. Uh... <laughs> You, you know who he is. I just can't think of his name right now. I can't stand his personality, but he's a damn good fighter. Uh, my most uh, – uh, I never really thought about that. Like like the person I don't like the most, like the fight. Yeah, well, you can take it either way. I'll, I'll tell you what mine is, to, so maybe that will give you a little bit of a, a little bit of an idea. Like I, I hated Michael Bisbing. Like for whatever oh, I reason, Bisbee, I, I see. But now I seem to like him better now that he's retired. But while he was fighting, I just couldn't stand him, and I also couldn't stand the Diaz <laughs> brothers. I didn't understand why people thought the Diaz brothers were awesome. I thought they uh, sounded uh, dumb. They fought dumb. So, the, but those <laughs> for me, like those were my least favorite fighters. So, but it was just I didn't like how they talked, and you know, Michael Bisming's wh whatever. I, I don't want to talk trash on a guy that's not here to defend himself. But you know, if you, who's your least favorite fighter of all time to watch or to follow? Oh gosh. Um let me think. Uh you know who what's his name used to be so damn boring. Let me think. Uh oh god, I'm trying to think who's the 
wrestle people down to the ground. I can't even think of them now. Uh, you know who my least favorite fighter to watch fighting was? I can't think of his name. He was like 155, 145. He was a grappling guy. He pushed people up against the fence. Oh, Habib? No, hell no. I love Khabib. I was about to say. This guy's name is weird. He was supposed to fight BJ Penn recently. Oh, I know, man. There are people screaming at both of us right now because neither one of us can remember the yeah, dude's name. I can't think of his name. You know what? Well, uh, Gerald, we'll we'll come back to that question. Maybe it'll hit both of us by then. <laughs> so uh, the next question here: Who is the most underrated fighter ever? Oh man, underrated. Uh, I'll say the most unappreciated fighter was myself. <laughs> okay, uh, fair enough. Fair un- enough. Underrated. Mm-hmm. Uh, let me think. Whoever, when I say underrated, I would say they just didn't get to ever reach their potential. I'll say this. I'll say this. I do wish that Uriah Faber had a, a UFC title. I think that's the only thing that um, he misses off his resume, and I think that his 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 talent is overlooked because he never was UFC champion. So I would definitely say Uriah Faber. And the guy named that I could not stand the fight was Nick Lentz. I hate watching <laughs> okay. Nick Lentz fight. That's right. Jeez, I hate watching that dude fight. Well, luckily, uh, we don't have to do that very much anymore. So, cool. <laughs> I'm, I'm glad you remembered that. So, uh, you gave us your most underrated fighter ever. Now, who is the most overrated fighter ever? Oh, that's a, that's a hard question. I don't know. Um, damn, let me think. Overrated? Oh, no. I wouldn't... Uh, I would say overrated because because in the sport of MMA your hype train can be because look at look at look at Hector Lombard. I thought Hector Lombard was the Hulk. I was right. like, this dude is gonna go to the UFC and knock everybody out. Oh wait wait, let me go back. The most underrated fighter in the in the history of mixed martial arts is Ben Askren. I would say unappreciated would be your favor because he was a man of his time. He just got caught up with. The sport caught up with Uriah Faber. I just wish he had a UFC title as resume. I hate how people disrespect Ben Askren. I hate it. They think his record's padded. He ain't fought nobody. The dude beat Douglas Lima in a five-round fight. I don't give a damn when you fought Douglas Lima. Five rounds with him is hard. And you saw that with Rory McDonald. Sure. Definitely. Going back to that would be him. Um, But, yeah, uh, under, under, uh, I don't know. I can't. That's a good one. I've never thought of that one. <laughs> All right, but we maybe we we might have to go back to overrated. We only got a couple more, and then we'll circle back to overrated. Yeah, now, overrated this, now, this might be easy. This might be difficult. But everyone kind of talks about their Mount Rushmore, right? The Mount Rushmore of basketball, Mount Rushmore of baseball, whatever the thing Wait, is. Wait, I got it. I got ADHD, so you got to bear with me. Okay, are right, you good? All Dan right, give me your Hardy. overrated. Dan, Dan Hardy. Hardy is extremely overrated. He never, and no offense to anybody, he got a title shot gifted to him. He never beat a ranked opponent to get a title shot. It's just because he was from the UK. He's extremely talented, but he didn't deserve to fight GSP. That's all I'm going to say. There was people with better wins and more wins before he got his title shot. He got his title shot because they were pushing the UK at the time. That's why. They were pushing the UK. That's why I like brackets and tournaments. Yeah, he had the look. He had the the black and red hair. And the thing is, you can't doubt his toughness. How many guys have not tapped to a submission from George St. Pierre and lived to tell about it? I mean, that dude almost got his arm broken completely off, and he just wouldn't tap. So tough guy, but I'm with you. It was a little bit of a head-scratcher at the time. So got a couple more questions for you here. Now, I want you to give me your MMA Mount Rushmore, okay? And to give you a second to think about it, I'm going to go ahead and give you my MMA Mount Rushmore, okay? With very, very little explanation. George St. Pierre, I think he's the greatest fighter ever. And then even in lieu of the latest news, John Jones, if if we have to send anybody in to fight somebody at another on another tribe or something like that and representative of America, we only get one of them. I'm sending John Jones. Then I got Daniel Cormier. You know, he did lose to Stipe, but his his record and, his, you know, the people he's beat is absolutely insane. And then I put Conor McGregor in there just because we've oh, never had. No, 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 no. no listen, man. listen, listen. No. We've never <laughs> had a star like him. Dude, I asked yeah. several people this mm-hmm. same question, and they told me Ronda Rousey. Now, Ronda Mount, Rousey. Mount Rushmore is for supposedly for the most accomplished, not the most popular presidents. Who's accomplished more than Conor McGregor? He was the first Donald double Trump. champ. 
if you're gonna do that, you gotta put Donald Trump up there. He was the first double champ, Gerald. He was the first double champ in the no. UFC. He did accomplish no. something. No. He's All right, not, now he's I, not I, you know I just put a Matt Rushmore, but I got GSP, John Jones, DC, and McGregor. Give me yours. Yeah, you got three on yours. I'm not hating on McGregor. I love McGregor. I think he's amazing what he's done, but he, he hasn't done enough to be on Mount Rushmore. And all those guys you named have hella resumes, like crazy resumes. Anyway, I probably definitely go with you. Got it? You just forgot all about Horace Gracie, huh? Well, no, no, no. I, I didn't forget him, but I just know <laughs> that Horace Gracie in his prime gets mauled by GSP in his prime. So no, you know, it's kind no, of one. No, of, that's not fair because that's uh, like comparing. I know it's not fair. It's not supposed school. to be fair. Yeah, whatever. That's like that's like comparing a running back from the '50s to a running back from 2020. Hey, so hey, I'm not I'm not to, hating on Horace. I'm not hating on him, but he's yeah, not on my. Not my list. Fifty years from now, there's gonna be a John Jones guy doing backflips off the cage. So. I'm going with Hoist Gracie. That's going to be one for sure. I wouldn't put... I, I, okay, I'm going to do not active fighters. Okay, fair I, I mean, Yeah, So, because I would obviously put DC in what John Jones in there too, but I would go with um, Hoist Gracie's one. As bad as I want to put BJ Penn on there, I can't. <laughs> uh, you definitely got to put GSP on there. Right. Uh and this is this is I I wish I could put Ken Shamrock I just can't <laughs> he hasn't done enough right um, so those two would be my old schools okay I'm gonna go with people that retired I'm just gonna go here I'm gonna go with um, Gracie uh, uh, GSP GSP BJ Penn because of what he accomplished and my fourth one would be damn somebody that's retired oh you know what Randy Couture man Randy Couture. That'll be my retired ones. Now, if you go for now, I can't. You you throwing in John Jones, Cormier. I mean, you you throwing in uh, McGregor in the conversation. You got, you know, if, if Nunez keeps whooping ass, I mean, no, I'm going. I'm taking the easy way out and taking retired fighters. Okay, that is the easy way out. I didn't figure you would uh, do that, but hey, it is what it is. We only got one question left, and you kind of knew where this was going. Last question of the day: Who is the goat? The greatest of all time to me is, and this is why I say it, not just because he was the first. The reason why I say that Horace Gracie was the greatest of all time is because of what he did when the sport first started. It's almost like Muhammad Ali. I feel like Muhammad Ali is the greatest fighter of all time because on top of him being a great athlete and of his time, the best that he could do at his time, he was fighting oppression. The man with the prison for not going to the war. I feel like Horace Gracie went into a sport with no rules, no weight classes, no time limits. We couldn't do that now. Let the and these fighters are, like I said, you can't compare football players from the fifties to football players now. That they're just a different breed. These guys look at Francis Ngannou. I mean, come on, man. That that that, <laughs> that wasn't happening in 1993. You know what I mean? No, no. So imagine no weight classes. You want to see Francis Ngannou? Fight uh, 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 Henry Cejudo, you know nope. what I'm saying? Mm -hmm. Like, come on. Nope. So the sport has evolved. The, the sport has evolved so well that you have to have weight classes. You have to have time limits. You got to – who wants to get punched in the balls by Francis Ngannou? You got to have rules. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? So, you know, drug testing. There was no drug test back then. Yo, he was fighting people. It was damn near like a street fight with a bunch of people watching and a referee. That's true. So, That's true. Now, now, go hoist, man. now, Gerald, you've made a lot of good points. You've made some compelling arguments, but he's not going on my Mount Rushmore. He's not making it on my Mount Rushmore, but <laughs> about, he is a good what dude. About, what about Matt? Which one? Oh, twin. Matt, uh, yeah, he got hurt in the car in the train accident. Oh, Matt Hughes. Matt Hughes. That's another good one. See, that's that's another guy that he was. If his career had ended before GSP had come on, yes, like yes. it, but it, he just he happened to get in there with GSP, and his last fight against GSP just did not look uh, good. So beast. he was, oh. yeah, he was coming down as GSP was ascending. But the thing about it is, with with Matt Hughes, is the guy's about as legendary as a human being can be because yeah. of what he did in in wrestling and collegiate wrestling. You know, just his 
you know, his propensity for strength and things he was able to do. I mean, picking a guy up that just had him in a submission and running him across the cage and slamming uh-huh. him down on the other end. I mean, that's legendary stuff, but that is kind of a weird thing that he was in this weird time period where the greatest fighter of all time was coming up in his division. Yeah. And, well, you know, but think about it, John Jones and, and Rashad Evans too. Same thing happened to him. Right, exactly. You know, it's funny. I met John Jones the week he fought Rashad Evans. Uh, I had a job in, in New York City, and we were so excited to to watch that fight. And there was all the bad blood uh, from the from the team and all those different things. And so that was crazy. Well, well, Gerald, we we've talked about a lot of different subjects here, and I'm so glad we've had you on for this amount of time. But that's all for me. Is there anything else you want to get off your chest? No, nah, man. I had a great time. Appreciate you having me. Absolutely, Gerald Harris. Thanks for coming on on Daunted Life, a man's podcast. There you go, guys. I hope you enjoyed the interview. Before we let you go, we are going to do a quick resilience boost. As you know by now, we are a men's ministry and our mission is cultivating manly resilience. Specifically, we do that by providing content that forges spiritual, mental, and physical toughness. So for you today, I've got one video and it's the only video you need. It is a video of the top five Gerald Harris knockouts. So do enjoy that. All right, guys. Thanks so much for listening to the podcast. We certainly appreciate it. If you would, please subscribe on Apple Podcasts, iTunes, Spotify, Google Podcasts, or Stitcher, and refer your friends to listen and share this on social media. Guys, if we deserve a five-star review, please leave us five stars and let us know why you like the content. I'm currently booking speaking engagements for the entirety of 2020, so if you want me to come speak at your men's event, on your team, or whatever, just hit me up, info at undaunted.life. Again, that's info at undaunted.life. The website is www.undaunted.life. You can follow us on Instagram and Twitter at undauntedlife or facebook.com backslash undauntedlife. Check out our free devotionals on the YouVersion Bible app. Just search Undaunted Life under plans. And as always, we want to thank the band August Burns Red for allowing us to use their entire music library for our content. The intro-outro track on this podcast is their song Defender, which is off their latest record entitled Guardians. The links are in the description. I'm your host, Kyle Thompson. Remember, keep cultivating manly resilience, keep forging spiritual, mental, and physical toughness, keep seeking the Lion of Judah.